6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 11 through 18. Verse 1 of of, uh, Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. This is a, you know, a, a, a cry of the faithful that uh, due to the apparent lack or dearth of faithful leaders. Lord, the godly man ceaseth for the, fra- the faithful fail from among the children of men. We look around, we can't find any believers, can't find people who are faithful. That's exactly what Elijah felt till God says, hey, I got 7,000 you don't know about. Stop your pouting, you know. And uh, Isaiah had the same reaction, Isaiah 57, and Micah has the same reaction in Micah 7. There are times when the faithful of God get discouraged because it would seem to them that they're alone. You may feel that way too. And especially these days too, it's astonishing to see some of the most prominent, respected scholars get messed up on their, in their position on the Bible. Uh, men who know better, getting involved with preterism on the one hand in the eschatological area or in the emergent church as it's going. It's, it's astonishing that people seem to want to go back to the you know, 14th, 15th centuries with incense and icons. If you want to go back, why don't they go back to the book of Acts? Okay? But there are times that we, it seems that that the faithful fail from among the children of men. It seems like they're not around. Then the psalmist goes on, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. Double speak from double hearts. We know what double speak is, right? Anyone ever listen to any of the news broadcasts, these politicians? Boy, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak? Boy, boy, boy. The whole term political correctness uh, uh, is, a, is a euphemism for that kind of foolishness. We live in a culture that denies the existence of truth. And you and I are committed to truth. We worship truth. He walked among us. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. Oh, boy. And the tongue that speaketh proud things. See, flattery is manipulation. Let's realize that. Yes, it's insincere, but it's usually insincerity with an agenda. Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said, with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Well, you're going to find out, gang. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord, I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. So again, we'll see these threats, these clouds, but God is always our refuge, always the one that will have the last word. And I love this verse. 
verse 6 of chapter 12. The words of the Lord are pure words. A silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. His words are flawless. They're pure. And uh, a lot of implications of verse 6. If his words are pure then you want to give a wide berth to paraphrases. It's very popular to deal in modern, what some modern translations are really paraphrases, but many of them are unabashedly paraphrases. They would paraphrase God? You've got to be kidding. See, there's two kinds of theories of translation. There's um, verbal equivalency and dynamic equivalency. Dynamic equivalency tries to render the original text into today's language. The, no, the goals are noble, but they are giving deference to today's language. Verbal equivalency is translations that try to capture what was really said. And one of the things you'll discover as you mature in studying your Bible is that you will outgrow these modern translations, you'll outgrow the paraphrases because you'll discover more and more that you need to get a respect for the precision of what God has said. And uh, many, many times what sounds like just a figure of speech carries with it an insight that gets lost if the translator uh, is, isn't faithful to the original text. And... Uh, now, we live in a world where those issues are getting less and less critical because you can go right to the Greek or Hebrew without knowing Greek or Hebrew today. Because this, this computer software is such that if you put your little cursor on a word, it will pop up and tell you what the Greek or Hebrew said, what it means, parts of speech. It'll diagram the sentence for you if you want. So you don't have to know the language, the original language, to be able to exploit the original language. And these software packages are free. Some of them, shareware and so forth, eSword and some of these, good, great. The Blue Letter Bible is on the internet. It's free. That's all that for you. There are also some packages that cost a few hundred dollars that are more elaborate, quicker in response, and you're not dependent, you, you can operate without being on the net, which is, if you're on a plane like I am, you need anyway. So, anyway, so um, the words of the Lord are pure words. We want to have a respect for what God said not what some translator thinks he really meant. Anyway, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. By the way, Psalm 138 verse 2 says, before I bring that out, does God, is God serious about his name? Does he venerate the name of God? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God. You know, how many have known us, noticed that he's, he, he venerates his name? Can I see a show of hands? About 20% of you. Come on. All right. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Do you realize there's something that he puts even above his name? That's a shock. It was shocked to me when I first saw this. Psalm 138, verse 2. He exalts his word even above his name, the scripture tells us. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. 
It's referring to situations where the things that God abhors are exalted in places like our entertainments. Almost every imaginable evil is exalted. Not, not just violence, sexual aberration, you name it. Is merchandise, is primary export of the United States. Okay, let's go to uh, Psalm 13. Here's again to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. And this is all about David's feelings, his enemies, and his faith. He was, you know, David was an incredible guy, incredible warrior, very skilled military tactician, but also a songwriter, a poet, probably the principal poet of his country. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? He's expressing candidly his feelings. Has God hid his face from him? Not really, but he feels that way. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? 1 Samuel 20 verse 3 says, there is one, he says, David says, there is one step between me and death. For 10 years he's running and never more than a step away from death. Whether He's had a tough time. And there are times that he felt very abandoned, very lonely. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? See, one of the points that's going to see through this is that feelings are deceptive. You may feel one thing. That's when you need to make a faith choice. The secret to a Christian walk is to make your choices by faith, not feelings, under the confidence that God will subsequently align your feelings with that choice. You don't make the choice because you feel that way. You make the choice by faith, and your feelings will align. That's one of the great discoveries you need to make personally. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitfully wicked. The actual word is incurably wicked. So you don't trust your heart in making those kinds of decisions. You make them by faith. And uh, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. See, people often underestimate God. You think that he can't fulfill his promises. You want to be knowledgeable in the promises of God, point one, and point two, you need to trust him. I don't know of a day that goes by where God doesn't find some new way to ask the question, do you trust me? Is he asking you that in your personal life? Are there things going on that cause you to doubt his promises? Are you ignorant of them? Do you know them and do you know that he's serious about them? But those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Now the word moved is mote, which really means it moved in a very specific sense, to totter, shake, waver, slip. Shaked up. When I am, those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved, when I waver and so forth. 
But David goes on to say, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. The word salvation here is, is uh, what name do you think? What is, that, what is the Hebrew word there for salvation? Anyone know? Yeshua. Exactly. That's what the word means. We use the term salvation in a very specific theological sense. He's using it in a much broader sense, but in either case, it's the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, interestingly enough. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. See, God's people live on promises, not explanations. You may not understand why. You may not understand where it's headed. Do you care? You shouldn't. You rely on his promises. All you want to be sure is that God's promises apply. And, uh, but I have trusted in thy mercy. The but is a translation from fear to faith. You had all those dire earlier verses, and he says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. That's the transition from fear to faith, from questioning to claiming. I don't know what's going on, but I claim God's promises. That's what he's basically saying. Boy, that's powerful if we would just use it in our lives. Okay, let's go to Psalm 14. We're doing all right here. Psalm 14, I might call the practical atheist. You want to be an atheist? Here's a lot of practical background you want to have if you're going to be an atheist, by the way. And you realize, and by, uh, by the way, Psalm 14 is duplica almost duplicated in Psalm 53. There's just a two small changes different. The practical atheist, we've already talked about the practical atheist in Psalm 10 because it highlights their pr the proud attitude. Atheism is based on pride. I love what... Uh, John Ankerberg does when he encounters an atheist. You say you're an atheist? Prove it. Despite what do you mean? Well, you say that you're militantly declaring there is no God. That must mean you know everything. Because whatever it is you don't know, he could be hiding behind that. So to make a declaration like that, you're in effect saying you know everything. It's a way of revealing what you, the real root is pride, not intellect. Psalm 12 took about, talked about their deceitful words. We've talked about the proud attitude, the deceit words. We've already covered that ground. Psalm 14 is going to focus not just on atheism in a broad sense, but the corrupt deeds that derive from that. And if they deny truth, they're going to deny good as well as evil, and their deeds will become corrupt. And as I say, Psalm 14 is duplicated in Psalm 53. Okay, here we go. Psalm 14 to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. And the first verse is one I'm sure you've heard. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Did you know that April 1st is Atheist Day? Did you know that? Right. You know, there are some places you can dial a number for the prayer of the day. Did you know that? Did you know that in New York there's a number that you can dial for the uh, atheists can dial for, for the thought of the day? Nobody answers. Okay, that's silly. All right. <laughs> okay, yeah. moving right along, yeah. The fool that said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And by the way, the, oh, one other thing. The word fool in the English comes from a Latin word that means bellows because they're full of hot air. See? No, really, I mean, that, that's the connection. The word fool is an old English term for bellows, like you'd... Try to heat, you know, start, start a fire. And uh, 
The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. As I say, bellows, suggesting full of hot air. There are three words in the Hebrew that mean fool. Gesel, which is a dull, stupid fellow, simpleton, an arrogant one. Uh, Ewell, which is uh, foolish, one that despises wisdom, one of, who mocks when guilty, one who is quarrelsome, licentious, and so forth. And it's this third one that's the word that's used here, Nabal. You may remember that name from 1 Samuel 25. He was the name of Abigail's husband who wouldn't help David to his own detriment. This is the one that, see, the fool here is lacking moral sense. He's not necessarily dumb. This isn't a fool in the sense of being dull or low intellect. The fool can be very brilliant. He may have a tremendous intellect. He's He's not lacking normal intelligence. He has a lack of moral sense in his heart, not a mental problem in the head. Remember, the fool has said what? In his head there is no God? No. The fool has said in his heart. The root issue is not his brilliance, his PhDs or whatever. The problem is his accountability. It's it's a flight from accountability. Psalm 14, verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And Paul quotes this in Romans 3, verses 9 to 26. Everyone, all of us, are of a fallen race. 2 Peter 3 speaks of this ignorance as being willful. To be an atheist is not being stupid in the intellectual sense. It's being willful, willfully ignorant. And it's astonishing to see scientists participate in the rejection of intelligent design. I, I just find this flabbergasting. People who are technically oriented may remember that in 1955, the Rand Corporation made a milestone by publishing a book called A Million Random Digits. The average layman, that sounds pretty stupid. It's a book of just numbers that are random numbers. No, there are occasions when in the laboratory and certain experiments, you need a source of random numbers that are really random, not pseudo-random numbers. They're hard to come by, actually, if you know what we're talking about. And so the Rand Corporation published a book of a million random numbers, and what that means is they tested them on computers to make sure there were no patterns, no predictable repetitions. They went, they went to elaborate means to make sure they were as random as they could be made random. The point is that randomness is defined as the absence of design. The absence of design. Now, who would have thought that within 50 years, the scientific community would try to ascribe the most elegant designs we've ever encountered to the operation of randomness? That is, by definition, absurd. That is, that is a contradiction in terms. And that, yet that's what our culture is. That's the direction we've moved. We deny the, the uh, abs- uh, formation of absolute truth. Two plus two is four. We can't escape that. It always has been, always will be. Two plus three is five, last time I looked, right? But uh, there, is, there is a thing called absolute truth. Anyway, we live in a culture that denies that. In any case, God's verdict is there is none that doeth good, no, not one. And Paul quotes this, as I say, in Romans 3. And uh, God is the general and the refuge of the righteous. He's in charge. And he's going to have his way, believe me. He continues here in verse 4. Have all workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread 
and called not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. He's the general. He's the boss. He's the guy in charge. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. See, in other words, when you deny these truths, you are insulting God. You know, it's really interesting to me. You study the ancient pagan cultures, and they made idols of wood and stone and metal, whatever, and ascribed the creation to these false gods, which is pretty stupid, but that's what they did. Or to insects or an animal. You know, they have all these crazy things. We've invented the most insulting idol of all. We don't ascribe the creation of the world to Baal or somebody. We say it wasn't, it wasn't created, no one was necessary. It was randomness. We actually worship nothingness. Boy, it's a, it's a boundary condition. You have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. By the captivity, it doesn't mean like being captive. It means restore the fortunes of. It's a, a strange translation in that sense, I suspect. That the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. Do you realize that nine out of ten churches in America deny that, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion? Because the church has replaced Israel? No, no, uh-uh. When we pray the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, we're praying for the fulfillment of these prophecies. And there, Paul hammers away at this in three chapters of the book of Romans, 9, 10, and 11. And if you want to put in your notes Romans 25, uh, Romans, excuse me, 11, verse 25 to 31. Let's take a look at it. Paul says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That's a term for the church. There's a number God is looking for. When that number is complete, he's going to say to the son, go get him. Then Paul continues, and so all Israel shall be saved. It is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. It's quoting the very verse, very psalm we were into, right? So out of, uh, so out of Zion, Chuck, you're a Christian Zionist. Absolutely, I'm proud of it. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them. Who's speaking here? Paul, but he's quoting who? God. When I shall take away their sins. That day is coming. And as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved of the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. And he goes on. Chapters 9, 10, 11, hammering away for three chapters that God is not finished with Israel, despite what most pulpits in this country preach. Do your own homework. Come to your own conclusions. Israel and the church are not to be confused. Different origins, different destinies. Okay, now we come to the one, if you haven't been bothered so far, I know there's going to be some that will be upset with Psalm 15. I was quite surprised that I really got into it, what it was really saying. Book of Psalms, Psalm 15. The Psalm of David. And uh, see, Psalm 14 identified two groups, just to put you in context here. Two groups. 
the workers of iniquity, that was chapter, uh, Psalm 10 and 12, and the generation of the righteous, the believing remnant, okay? Now, understand that Psalm 15 is not a prescription for being saved. It's a description how saved people ought to behave if they would please God and fellowship with Him. You understand the distinction? Many people don't, but let's be sensitive right up front. Okay, the psalm opens up. David says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? That's the question the psalm is going to deal with. Now, the word dwell is a fascinating word. You'll want to be sensitive to this one. In the, in the Hebrew, it's shakan, which means to settle down, abide, dwell, tabernacle, or reside. Why am I making a point of that? Because it's a derivative of that that is shekinah. Shekinah, which means God's glory dwelling. And it's referred to in Exodus several times, 1 Chronicles 22, and in three different Psalms we'll encounter it as we go. Dwell. Come, say Shekinah doesn't appear in the, in, the, in the Bible. Yes, it does in the sense of being derived from Shekinah. To dwell. God tabernacle, his glory tabernacled with him. That's what the tabernacle was for. That's what the Holy of Holies was for. That he tabernacled, he dwelt between the cherubim in there. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the obedience of the righteous. You know, the rabbis, many of you probably realize, the rabbis take the Torah and they've identified 613 commandments. And if you're Jewish, you're well acquainted with these 613 commandments. If you are a Gentile, you know that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf. And many Gentile believers get fascinated and benefited by learning about what they call, some people call a messianic uh, 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 service or ministry. Because I think as Christians, we need to know more than we usually do about the Old Testament. Because Paul said, whatsoever things are written afore... You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music